This is the 217 Recovery Podcast with Corey Winfield. Yes, me. I was calling to see what you hung up on for, bro. Give <laughs> me a call back. Bye. 17th of November, 2020. This is the 217 Recovery Podcast. My name is Corey Winfield. Joining me on the phone, Jason Botter, very special guest. How's it going, Jason? It's going good, buddy. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Now, we've, we've had a chance to catch up. Uh, we're from the same city. I'm a little bit older than you. Went to the same school. Know the same people, roughly, uh, from the town we're from, of Coloma, Michigan. And you also, and I've noticed this, I think before I even, well, I know before I got clean, clean, that you had a problem with uh, substance use, and that was alcohol. And so I kind of was following you and kind of looking up to you. And, you know, that's the thing about recovery. It's like you can be younger, older. It doesn't matter. You know, like if you see somebody doing something good, it's like, hey, I, w- I want to do what that mm-hmm. guy's doing. And they say that a lot, you know, in AA. But but I noticed that you were doing good. And um, I don't know, a few weeks ago, I, I think I reached out to you maybe last week. I was like, why haven't I had Jason on yet? You know, so I'm like, hey, bro, I was like, why don't you come <laughs> on the podcast? And you're like, absolutely. So welcome. And I'm, I'm glad you agreed to do it today. Yeah, buddy, it's it's awesome to get a chance to catch up with you and talk a little bit about this. You know, it's something I'm passionate about. And, you know, like you follow me, I've followed your journey since you got sobered up and and noticed with 217 that you were connected with other people that I knew. And so that, you know, that much more interested. And, of course, I've had a chance to listen to some podcasts and things like that that you've done. So it's really great to to be able to join you today. Now, they have um, a saying for people... I guess not really a saying, but there's three types of people who are in recovery. The people who don't want to talk about it, the people who do want to talk about it and let everybody know, and then the people that just aren't sure. And I used to be the person, I didn't want anyone to know I had a problem. And I think that kept me stuck actually for a long time. And, you know, being on the radio, it's like, man, people can't know that I, that I have a problem with alcohol and I just got to hide it. But it wasn't until I decided, well, you know what? F it. <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm just gonna tell mm-hmm. the world I'm gonna start an effing podcast and a website and a company and turn this baby to a non profit and let's help people in recovery until I was able to do that, you know. But you seem to be like you're kind of the same, like you're open about it, you're like, Yeah, I'm not ashamed to tell people that I've made good choice to live a better life, like Right. Listen, so at first, right, there's this adaptation where you are telling people, Hey, I don't want to go out and party or Hey, I can uh, join you, but not if we're going to be around party and whatnot, cause I'm doing my thing now. Um, I, you know, I've always been lucky in that like friends and family have been wildly supportive of me where, you know, in AA I've many times, and I'm sure you have too, you've heard stories of like the family member, that is like, oh, it's not a big deal. We can just have a drink. And I always sit there at that table thinking, <laughs> oh, my God, right? What are we talking about? And, like, my father always taught me when I was young and getting in trouble and on probation and doing piss tests and all that, my dad would always tell me, Jason, if your friend is willing to get high with you, knowing you can get in trouble or it would hurt your life, that is not your friend. And of course, back then you're like, listen, old man, you don't know shit. Right. But as you get older, and especially once you embark on that journey of sobriety, you recognize, okay, now you fully understood what he meant. Because like, I wouldn't try to get one of my friends drunk. 
or get one of my friends high if I thought they could get in trouble just because I, why would I do that? Right. So it's, I do talk to people, you know what I mean? I talk to whoever, whenever, anytime, because recovery, I look at it as a lifestyle, right? It's not just, uh, you've, everybody's heard the saying, you know, the dry drunk, I quit drinking, but nothing else changed. And so I'm just miserable without alcohol now instead of miserable and drunk. And I decided when I got sober that I was going to go with a comprehensive approach of not only sobriety, but really embarking on mental health because I quickly realized that good mental health went a long way to your success within your sobriety. Yeah, for sure. And that was my big thing for a while too. It was like, at first I was like, well, I just have an alcohol problem. I don't, I don't need therapy. I don't need anything like that. And then it turned to quickly like, oh my God, like, why am I still drinking? Like, I don't want to drink this. this it's miserable. Mm -hmm. When I pick up this drink, I know what's going to happen, but yet I still drink. Like, it's clearly something's wrong. And so then I was really hoping the doctors would say I was bipolar or there was something wrong with my brain because then I could make sense of it all. And then, yeah, that makes sense. That's why I drink because I'm stupid, you know, or something mm -hmm. like that. But it take it takes time you know if you've been drinking and partying for so long it just takes time for the brain to heal and it's it's just not easy you know some people can put it down and never touch it again um like you were saying in, in those meeting rooms you know some people i go in and they're like oh, yeah, i i just stopped drinking and started coming to meetings and I'm like so you never went to rehab or nothing you didn't go to counseling nope and then i start questioning their there's sobriety. I'm like, maybe you weren't that much of a drunk, man, you know, but that was right. younger me. Now it's like, <laughs> now, now it's just like, I don't care, man. Cool. As long as you're here, you know, do what you need to do for you. It doesn't matter. But back then early in recovery, right. I would judge people, you know, I'd be like, man, dude, you don't have a problem. You just hate your wife. You don't have nothing else to do. <laughs> so Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, listen, that's exactly it. I remember being really young and being forced to go to AA before I ever had an addiction of any kind, right? And I sat there like, what in the hell is wrong with these people? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, I just can't do it. Like, quit buying this shit. You'll find it really easy to not do it if you won't buy it. Like, it isn't. But then you get into it and you recognize, like, and I was like you, right? So my turning point was I went from working a regular going to the office job to I started managing a transportation company and I was able to do it from home. And my nightly drinking quickly became, uh, ah, it's 10 o'clock. It's Thursday, slow anyways, what the hell matter? And then that becomes a constant. Like you just find yourself over there. You don't want to be the 9 a.m. guy, but somehow 9.35 to pick up a fifth of booze is acceptable, even though 9.01 wasn't, right? Like, what the hell is the difference? You're a hot mess of a human being and you got to get your shit together. Hmm. And I, I, you know, I had the turning point in AA where I was gone for a while and I came back and a guy that was always in my meeting, always. One day he had been, and he had been sober for like eight years. So I watched him over the course of a couple of years, you know, growing his sobriety and I was gone for a while and I come back and he's like, yeah, I'm so-and-so and, -so and and uh, today I'm celebrating 90 days. And I had this like almost fall off my chair moment of, holy hell, he didn't make it? Oh, okay. So like eight years isn't enough. I got to make sure that I'm cognizant of this importance every day. Just remind myself. And like, I don't have a risk of drinking today. I would tell you it would be shocking to me if I arrived at a decision of, all right, fuck it, let's drink. But you have to also respect the fact that that's always possible. Right. You could have that. The guy, one of my favorite guys ever in AA, 
he always used to say, Jason, you never know which thought will get you drunk. And I've always remembered him saying that, and I say it to myself often. That's a good saying, though. And that's it's a, the truth. It's a good think point. about it. Did you celebrate? Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't. Hmm. That's crazy, man. And I don't know. I mean, I had a kind of a sponsor situation like that where he had some years on him. And then, like, I went to a meeting one time. And I, he chaired the meeting, and I kind of walked up to him after, and I was like, did I just smell alcohol on him? I was like, he doesn't have the balls to do that. He wouldn't He wouldn't chair a, an AA meeting. It must be mouthwash. You know, I did that, that whole thing, which is kind of a, a, a funny when people try to use, oh, it's just mouthwash. No, bro. <laughs> I'm an alcoholic. I know what that smells like. Right. You know, I'm not buying the whole mouthwash thing ever. I drank mouthwash before. I didn't smell like that either. So, but I was like, oh, maybe it was just mint. I don't know. Cause it, it was minty. And then I started thinking, I was like, man, that is peppermint snaps though. But I was like, you know what? He doesn't have the balls to do that. <sighs> and then like a week later, I get a call from his wife. Hey, have you, you know, heard from him? I was like, no, why? Well, he was drinking and took off. And I was like, oh no. <sighs> so now I can drink is what I thought. Well, you know, F it. That's an excuse, you know, and, if you're not and you're looking for one, oh man, just any ever. reason, like whatever's the reason to say, all right, I'm good to go, right? What? So I have this, I'm of this belief, right, that it's the hardest time to justify doing anything you shouldn't is the first time. Once you have already justified this situation, once, then what the hell is stopping you from going back to the well and going, well, I mean, I already did it on Tuesday. What the hell does it matter? Right for me. So I checked myself into rehab. I wasn't in trouble, blah, blah, blah. I woke up one day and had this epiphany, man, my life sucks. I don't like to live like this. And I don't want to live like this anymore. And I called a guy uh, who is now, you know, we've grown to be like we're as tight as family. But, you know, back then we weren't. But I just happened to pick him out of my phone for no, I don't even know why. Called him. I said, Josh, I want you to know that I am a drunk. And I hate it. I hate myself for it. And I'm going to fix it today. And I checked myself into rehab and I was there and I got out and I was good for a month. And I went to a rehab meeting uh, or an AA meeting with a girl that I had met in rehab. Went good. We get back to my place. We're sitting in the car and she just says, man, Jason, I just feel like getting drunk. And I was like, what are you talking about? We just left AA. I don't know what message you heard, but I didn't hear go home and get drunk after mm-hmm. the meeting anytime in that meeting and she's like oh, i know jason i just oh, i just blah 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 and she regurgitates all her justifications right mm-hmm. and after like 20 25 minutes of sitting there talking i had this screw it it's just a day so i got drunk that day and i didn't go to AA the next day but i went two days later embarrassed right everybody knows that walk of shame that's the worst of them all <laughs> is to walk in there like yeah i thought i had it Turns out I didn't have anything, right? And I was embarrassed, and I was a, I quickly became a drunk again immediately. And like three and a half months later, I had a conversation with a uh, with a probation officer, and she talked to me about. She was like, "Jason, you know, you have the ability to do anything in the world that you want, and you keep lying to yourself and thinking you can do it and drink." She goes, "The quicker you realize that you can't, the better off you're going to be." And I, whatever that conversation, it clicked. I haven't drank since February 3rd, 2015. I looked this morning just so I was familiar with my numbers. 
five years, nine months, and 14 days. And uh, it's crazy that it's like in the blink of an eye. I remember sitting there with a week and a half and hearing guys talk about five, six years going, wow, that seems like this impossible right. endeavor. <laughs> and then one day, bang, you're a year. And then you go, whoa, a year already. Wow. And I remind myself by looking at my clean time counter in my phone often. Why? Because I know that if I ch make a change, I have to watch all of that success immediately turn to a zero. Mm. How many days you got? None. Why? Because yes. you're dumb, bro. <laughs> Quit being dumb. There's, there's no situation I would like to think that I would be in where I would choose alcohol. Like, hey, this is going to make it better. Now, knowing that, we still have that tendency at least i do you know i'll have two years next month and i still it's it's back there i can feel it and that's when i go to meetings you know if i have a hard day it's like you know today i'm not going to drink but if i leave that back there and don't deal with it you know this issue that i'm having or whatever kind of feelings i'm having i can't i can't leave it alone in there you know that's why i have to go in there and get it and go to some meetings or you know talk to a therapist you know i have to get that stuff out because to be cocky and go oh man well i've got two years next month i, I don't even need to think about it I, you know, it, it'll, it'll catch up with me and I'll be sitting in the car with somebody after leaving AA going, you know what, it's just this weekend. And we, we know how yeah. that ends, you know, it, it just doesn't stop. It's not right. It's the old saying that one's too many and a million's not enough or a thousand's mm -hmm. not enough. Right. And that's just the truth. It's, um, it's an interesting dynamic, right? So routines, that's kind of the thing, right? People are inherently afraid to make changes to their routine, no matter how small, especially when they're for, you know, ingrained like that, right? I drink every day that change. Now what's scary about going, I'm not going to be a drunk anymore. Nothing. But for some reason, people will continue living that lie just because it's easier to stay in the, in the current than to make a move. So when I see somebody own it and go, I'm making a move, like, I got so much pride for that person. I don't have to like them, dislike them. doesn't make any difference. I like seeing that person have that moment go, you know what? There's a better way and let's do this thing. That's how I was right when I finally did it. And I, I embrace it. That's why I talked about going like the comprehensive approach. I see a therapist. I take an antidepressant because I suffer from chronic depression and I read materials on mental health and things like that so that I can stay above, like you just said, sit in the back of your mind and it, that grows, right? And how is it going to manifest if you don't address it? It could end up being drunk. You could end up developing a workout habit, right? But if you were a drunk before, the likely response is to go to be a drunk again, not to go, well, I'm going to be a fitness freak now, and that's going to make it all better, <laughs> right? We just, you just adopt whatever's going to work, right? I take action. That's where, like, my mantra to myself is I'm the action guy. I see something going on. I take action because I don't like those things festering either. That mental health is so, so important if your mental health is not under control, then how can you be super confident in your sobriety? Because you're only as strong in your sobriety as you are in your mental health. Yeah, I agree. It's like when I've been to many rehabs, but we'd always like have a group about coping skills and coping skills. And I don't know if you've listened to some of the podcasts, but I'm not a big fan of coping skills. Cause I mean, I'm, I already had a coping skill. It's called drinking. So I would rather, and I, I told I told a therapist this one time, I was like, look, I would rather just deal with the problem. 
you know, let me, who do I talk to? What is the problem? I don't know. Let's talk about it. Let's figure it out. You know, like I, w- I would rather take that yeah. approach than go, oh, I'm going to color today and it's going to be great because that's it's, yeah. it's not yeah. going to work. I would rather go drink if I'm going to cope, you know, if I'm just going to, like I said, leave it in the back of my head somewhere, then it's just not going to, it's not going to turn out very well. Cause like I said, the coping skill I know was to drink and, um, I don't know. I, some people would argue that with me. No, but and there's a difference for me between hobbies and coping skills. You know, hobbies mm-hmm. something that I, like fantasy football. I like to do that. It's fun. Uh, you know, there's making our shirts. I like to do that. It's it's kind of soothing. It's calming. It's, it's like arts and crafts. I like to do that. It's a hobby of mm-hmm. mine. But I don't like get pissed off at somebody and go, you know what? I'm making ten shirts today, and I'm not leaving here till I do. You know. <laughs> Then that that would become, I think, dangerous. And then next thing I know, I'd be drinking, making two seventeen recovery shirts, and that that's just not very. Um, it's just not very precise. I don't think. I mean, I don't think anybody would want those shirts. No. No, and <laughs> and you know the thing, Corey, is I learned to use as a coping skill, right? So when I was eighteen, my son passed away when he was four months old, right? Imagine your kid. And like you just get done with school and you're like learning this adult world that you just dropped into and you, you know, you're trying to deal with all these changes, kids, school, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, I come home from school to get the message that my son had passed away while I was at school. Right. And I will never forget that night. My friend Ryan came over and we worked together and he was like, I answered the door and he had a six pack of butt ice and half a joint. He was like, Hey, smoke this, drink a couple of these. And I think this will help you feel better. And by God, bro, it did. I felt way better in that moment than I did before that. But what did I do? Nothing. Got drunk, got high, didn't do anything about how I was feeling. And, but it worked in that moment. And so then that's when I, you know, you're introduced to, Oh, I can do this and this will help. And you continue to tell yourself that like, that's the helper, right? You celebrate, let's get drunk. You are mad. Let's get drunk. You're sad. Let's get drunk. Like, come on, man. It ain't the one stop shop for solutions, but you don't recognize that in the moment you wish you did. And looking back, it's easy to see it, but in that moment you don't. And so I developed this long history of that's how I dealt with everything. And I catch a buzz, you know, I was a social guy out with everybody did the damn thing. Right. But like, mm-hmm. I realized that I probably was the only one that had a problem. And you don't know that in the moment you wish you did. Right. It's, it's funny now, Monday morning quarterback, I can tell you everything I was doing wrong in that moment. I couldn't have told you anything that I was really doing wrong. And you know, the change is tough, right? You you know, to realize that's where the mental health, I realized that I used this this device of getting messed up to help me with mental health related things. And the second I had that moment, I went, okay, so therapist, blah, blah, whatever we got to do. I'm of that mind. Whatever we got to do. I want to be peaceful in my mind. Peace of mind is something that's undervalued. And to get that peace of mind for me, I saw what it would take to get there. And I just, you know, like I said, take action. And it's been life changing, right? I even, you know, my mental health got to a point after I quit drinking where I started to think about drinking or just something. Didn't have to be drinking. Started to play the justifier machine. Well, maybe I can do something different. Maybe so-and-so's got some pills and, you know, maybe that'll work or something like that. And I went, whoa, 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 whoa. 
That's not the approach. You know better. You've been down this road before. And so I actually checked myself into an intensive outpatient mental health program where for a couple of weeks I spent six hours a day in all these different groups and talking. And like with AA, I went in fully. I invested myself 100%. I participated in everything we did because I wanted to get every drop out of that sponge humanly possible while I was there and then just simply try to continue those new tools and routines I had learned into my just general day-to-day life. And that was kind of that difference in my sobriety where I feel better as a person. I feel more confident as a person, more content with myself as a person. I'm better at forgiving myself for being a shitty human being for years. And it's just, you know, it's whatever it took, right? And I'm proud now of where I am. I wish I had thought of these wonderful ideas a lot sooner, but <laughs> I didn't. And so here we are now, right? What, we, what can we do now? You know, I'm, a, I'm of that belief I can't do anything about a minute ago, but I can affect the next minute and the next day by just doing little things. Yeah. And now I would like to say that I appreciate life more. I'm sure you do as well. And so, like, we mm-hmm. had to go through, and I'm a firm believer, we had to go through things we had to to be where we're at today. And obviously, it's the way it kind of works. But, you know, to really appreciate life now and the people that are in our lives, and we we treat them night and day, you know, is different. We treat them differently now, um, loved ones, than we did before. They were, like, using tools. Like, not like, not like a needle or anything, but, like, what can I get out of you to get the end result to me drinking alone mm-hmm. at home? What do I need to just mm-hmm. to tell you? Yes. Do I, do I need to borrow money from you? Like, do I need to move your car, or wash it? What do we really, what do I need to do to get my end result? You know? And now it's, it's way different. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I cherish the time that I, that I spend with family and I don't feel like I'm using people for anything now. And it just, it feels good. Right. You know, it absolutely. It does. Yeah. But um, now you were talking earlier about, um. Well, earlier when we talked, we were not recording, but we were kind of chatting it up a little bit. You mentioned that you'd gotten like your story of leading to the rehabs and to realize, oh, okay, you know, maybe I do have a problem. Is you got a couple DUIs? So I had DUIs. So this is the crazy thing. I had DUIs back home. This was before I had any idea I had a problem. This is when I still lived in our lovely hometown, and. I, I, you know, I have the gift of gab. I was able to get out of both of those DUIs with no punishment other than money. And what, what does an addict learn when all I got to do is give you money? Nothing. You go, man, I'm crafty. You brag to your friends, bro. You won't believe it. I talked my way out of probation. I talked my way out of classes. I told them, I sold them on how much I knew, bro. Like they didn't even know. Now let's go get drunk, right? And you just like, God, right? And that, the thing for me is I always used, right? And alcohol was just along the way. I tried all these different drugs and ended all these different scenes with all these different people. And the only present, you know, the ever present was alcohol all along the way. And it wasn't until I quit doing everything else that like I went, oh, yeah, I drink, right? But man, when I moved here to, to Lansing and East Lansing, 
I was 25. I'm in a college town with 50,000 college students and we're just living it. Right. And I didn't expect that. And I didn't bargain for that life. And I happened to get, um, meet somebody who was extremely well known everywhere we went. And so like, dude, it was the life. Right. And then one day, you know, I had quit drinking for a while just cause like my health wasn't phenomenal and I quit drinking for a year and I was like, all right, good. And then one day I'd had the justifier on, right? I turned my, my trusty justifier on, dialed her in for some justification messages and <laughs> headed my ass down to the liquor store and picked me up a little half pint. You know, Corey, it's just a half pint. What's Ugh. it going to do to you? Yeah, nothing. nothing. But then tomorrow I got another one. And then the next day I got another one. And then a couple weeks later, well, that half pint isn't getting it. Guess I got to get a pint. And it just grows, right? If you feed the animal, the animal will eat, right? Mm -hmm. And alcoholics are like heroin addicts in that you have this trait within you from using that gives you this craving to use endlessly, right? No matter how much, give me more. Do you need mm -hmm. more? No. Do you want more? Sure. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just, a, you know, it, it's so innocent how it starts. And before you know, you are, you've got a problem on your hands. And it might not affect anything, but you know, I had family push away from me. I pushed people away and all of a sudden it occurred to me that like none of my friends wanted to be around me anymore. And I was spending most of my time drinking alone and I was spending a lot of time having arguments with people. Why? Because I was miserable with myself Can't, and I was already destroying myself and that was apparently wasn't sufficient enough. So I decided to drop some family bombs here, there and everywhere too. And I think I mentioned this when we were talking before, right? What's the worst walk of shame? It isn't mm -hmm. the car walking, looking like a disheveled mess. It's picking up your, your damn cell phone and looking at what trouble you got yourself in with who and what arguments you had and you don't remember it. And you're just like, oh my God. And so you go get drunk, right? Because you feel like such a miserable person. Like that's, man, buddy, that's where I think about that mental health part. And I just knew the whole way that, that just not drinking wasn't going to be it that I had to feel better about myself. My therapist says this thing to me, right? You have to learn to look at trust as a skill when talking about yourself, develop the skill of trust in yourself. And I have always thought that was profound, right? I never thought of trust as a skill and now I do. And so I figure out how can I be kinder to myself, right? Little things. How do I talk to myself when I make a mistake? Do I go, Oh, you stupid ass God, you're so dumb. <laughs> or do I say, well, I had a human moment. I watched the Ted talk and the lady was like, I used to beat myself up. Now when I make a mistake, I say, Oops, yes, I had a human moment. I thought that's cool. I like that. I bet you that's helpful. And you know what? It is helpful. And sometimes I still slaughter myself but I try to recognize it and stop myself and be like, Hey, you know, talk to yourself like you're talking to one of your friends. Yeah. It, <laughs> that's, that's, I don't know. I don't think I beat myself up over that, but that's, that's something to be mindful of though. You know, if like, Oh yeah, I'm pretty sure I, I'm sure, I'm sure I have, but that's, that's something that is because nobody likes to be wrong. And especially when you have to admit it to yourself that you're wrong and you know, there's so many people out there that are just, that were just like us that are just like us right now. They're on the same path 
And their families are telling them, you know, little Johnny, I think you have a problem. No, I don't. You know, and that's how they, they, that's how I was. I don't have a problem. Oh, if you think I have a problem, then fine. I'm not going to talk to you and I'm going to go drink Mm -hmm. and I'll show you I don't have a problem. And then it got to a point where I didn't know what to do. And mm-hmm. I think you had a little clearer path or not a clearer path. I think you just knew a little bit sooner, like, no, 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 this isn't what I'm doing. And yeah, you might've had a slip here or there. Cause I think we all kind of have those, but it was part of your journey. And then for you to jump all in, in the mental health, man, I commend you. That's, that's huge for me. I was like, no, that means I'm crazy. At, at first I didn't, I didn't want anything mm-hmm. to do with the mental health. You know, nope, nope. I just have a drinking mm-hmm. problem. I don't need to talk to nobody. I don't need nothing. Mm-hmm. And I wish mm-hmm. somebody just would have grabbed me and just shook the shit out of me and said, no, you, dude, you do have a mental problem. Like, it, it, it's not like we're not saying bad things about mental problems. We're just saying that there are feelings there, there's stuff that's going on in our brain, you know, that we don't know how to deal with. And especially when we mask it and coping skills, you know, alcohol or other drugs, we don't know what to do. And we come so yeah. used to that they our brain like that's that's how it works it oh you know if you're thirsty, you pick up something to drink and you drink it. Well, we have a problem you and you and I would do is use drugs and we would use alcohol, you know mm-hmm. like oh let's let's do this mm-hmm. yep, it becomes second nature, man. We don't even think about it anymore until we start exactly. shaking. Do you ever have the shakes? So no, I I am lucky in this way. I didn't get, and I actually recently learned that twenty percent of people are genetically unable to have hangover symptoms. And I, because I used to always say I never got hangovers. I, that's probably why I could always work. I never had hangovers. The worst I felt was a little dehydrated and tired. But like, I never got to the point of shakes. Right? I checked myself into the rehab. Because I had read up on like what happens if you're uh, shit-based drunk and just stop drinking, right? And it's like, well, you can have seizures and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, just to be on the safe side, and I checked myself in. I got my five days there. But I never got to the point of where I had any shakes. I would, if I felt off, like maybe a little touch of like, I say hangover. But I never felt like sick or anything like that. You know, I might drink early. I went from kind of like not drinking as a, you know, sport, so to say, just for mm-hmm. fun with friends to like, I remember the day there was a fifth. I'll, I remember the day like it was yesterday. There was a fifth of rumple sitting on my dresser from uh, the party the day before. And it's like 11 o'clock in the morning. And I looked at it and I just had this like drink me. Right. And I was like, oh, well, you know, Sunday, eh, who cares? And that was it. Right. And that was my like first, for no particular reason, day drinking. And that just picked up from there. And suddenly like, I don't know, man, I didn't make like this conscious decision to drink all the time, but like, it sounded fun. Now, now I know that like, I just was miserable as a person, right? Inside and out. And so it was easy to just go, ah, I'll drown it out in this. We'll cross this bridge tomorrow. I don't want to deal with it today. I'm not ready for it today. And that's not the way you never fix anything, of course, right? You just end up on this wicked cycle that doesn't solve anything. And and really, whether you're paying attention or not, it's just making things worse. Like you talked about like liver failure, right? And that's, you know, I I was lucky that I didn't have like these physical problems. But I will tell you this, 30 days after I quit drinking, I had my physical. My doctor looked at my blood work stuff and he goes, you quit drinking, didn't you? (laughs) I was like, wait, what? 
I was like, uh, yeah, uh, 30 days ago. Why? He goes like your blood work, you're normal. He was like, you're all normal now. He was like last year when you did your physical, your numbers were like all over the place in all the categories of the effects of drinking on the body. He goes, and now everything is normal. I was like, really? 30 days normal. He goes, yeah, it's amazing how bad, how fast your body will heal itself. If you just give it a chance to Jason, I'm like, <laughs> holy cow. Bro, I had no idea. Why didn't you drop this knowledge on me earlier? <laughs> Where was I? Did I miss all the education on what drinking does to you? I don't know, but it seems like somebody should have dropped this knowledge on me. Maybe let me make some decisions with more uh, more knowledge in my in my toolbox. You know what I mean? So it was little things, right? I grab onto these little things that go, yeah all the reason in the world, man, I wake up. I never feel crappy. Never. I'm never tired. I'm never anything. Right. I don't get sick of that. I haven't been sick since I quit drinking, not even a cold. Like it's just this, I wouldn't change anything about it. Right. I only wish I could have done it earlier. You know, my dad died in 2012. I remember when I was 21 or 22, my dad sat me down, right. Big friend, you know, the fatherly talk. Right. And of course at 21, your dad still doesn't know anything yet. Yeah. You're not old enough to admit that your parents know something. He's like, you know, Jason, here's the thing. Not everybody can drink. It's just the truth. He goes, uh, a lot of people can, some people just can't. You happen to be one of those people that can't. Mm-hmm. And I wish you'd accept that and understand that. And, and you'd avoid a lot of trouble. I think you're going to have in your life because of it. And once you get sober, you think, man, I wish, I wish I would have listened earlier. He died in 2012. This is one of the biggest regrets I carry with me is that my dad never got to see me as this productive person who owns a company or has sobriety or is just normal, bro. Like, what are we talking about? I'm just some normal ass dude that lives a normal ass life now. Right. And I wish, I wish so badly that my dad could have even seen that for five minutes let alone, you know, five and change years. Cause that would be this thing that I would be so proud of to be able to show him that he was right. And I wish I would have taken that advice sooner. Yeah. I think he knows, man, I'm a firm believer in the afterlife. Hey. So <laughs> are you okay? Well, then we'll yeah. roll with that. Right. Yeah, and, uh, I think, he knows, you know, man. hopefully he's looking down from somewhere and he smiles on it. Right. And he, no, my old man, right. He smiles and then goes, God, he's stubborn son of a bitch. <laughs> you just listen to me when you could have. Wouldn't you? Li- I can hear his voice. Wouldn't you listen to your old dad once in a while? You might find out I know a thing or two. <laughs> now, <laughs> when he when he told you that though, when you were younger, like, did you have resentments? Did it just go in one ear out the other? Obviously, you remember it. it was in the- and out, right? I just remember the moment, thinking like, you don't know shit. How would you know? That's what I was thinking. How would you know, right? You're not around me when I'm out. You're not around. You don't see what I even do. How would you know? Problem, no problem, anything. And I just, I let it go, right? Chalked it up to parent speech. You know, my dad drank, right? Who are you? This was like when he had the smoking talk with me. He smoked cigarettes. <laughs> just like, you know, I was mind. like, I remember him like talking to me, right? And I'm like, you know, like you got a pack of Marlboro Lights in the golf cart right there, Mr. Non-Smoker. Mr. You shouldn't smoke, do as I say, not as I do. You ever had one of those speeches? Do as yeah. I say, not as I do? Like beat it. Beat it. I got no time for none of that. I had a, a, a counselor in a drug program uh, years ago, right? He had never drank or used drugs 
ever. Never tried them. Mm-hmm. I went, so how exactly is it that I should hang my hat on anything with you? What do you know? The only thing you know is that you haven't tried it, and you are one drink or one drug away from being in the same class we're in right now. You don't even know. And you're just, you know, you're young. You're looking for any reason to, to uh, tell a person to take a hike, right? Mm-hmm. Not your way, my way. My way for, for better or worse, right? I'm going to learn the hard way. Mm-hmm. And then you can just go in there. And I, I took that opportunity because I had a therapist that, you know, he smoked a joint in high school once. But see, he made the mistake and told me that he understands what I'm going through because he did that. I just—I thought he was joking, and he—he he wasn't. So I just was like, you know what? I'm not—I'm not giving this guy anything. I'm just going to bullshit my way through every session, and yeah. and that wasn't good for me. It was just really a waste of time. But I just thought, eh, whatever. I'm going. It'll make other people happy, and I'll still go home and drink if I want because that's what I want to do, and that's that's how I know how to deal with things. And but now, though, it it's, seems like. You know- Sorry, I just want to bring this up real quick. It seems like you are kind of taking your dad's advice about the smoking or not smoking. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. So today's 100 days. Damn. Today is my 100th day since I quit smoking cigarettes. I, it's, I don't know, man. That's the one that I thought would be the harder thing to like. And it is. It was the harder, right? And I still have moments where I'll think about it. I read this book called Easy Way to Quit Smoking, and they all base it on the parameters that you live dealing with two monsters, the small monster and the big monster. And the small monster is the actual physical addiction to the drug nicotine. Mm -hmm. The large monster is your mental addiction to smoking, right? What you've heard everybody say, I smoke because it calms me down. It focuses me. It uh, de-stresses me. It wakes me up. It gets me motivated. It's a reward and blah, 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 blah. And all the while, none of those things are true. You can't have all those things, right? It's not a one-stop drug that fixes all things mental for you, right? And eases boredom or is entertainment or any of these things. And so I wrap my mind around the idea that I wasn't giving up anything. That's the message of the book, right? Realize that you are not giving up anything. Smoking cigarettes, right, to get nicotine, they always say in the book, and I have adopted this in a lot of things, is, Smoking cigarettes to cure your nicotine addiction is like wearing tight shoes all day just to get the relief of taking them off. Hmm. And I thought, yup. Yeah, buddy, that's the one, right? And even hmm. after I read that book, like I wanted to quit smoking, but I wasn't willing. And then, I don't know, a couple of weeks later, I was outside my driveway smoking. And I just went, you know what? F these things. And I threw it away. Quit smoking, haven't smoked since, right? And anytime I smell a cigarette or I see a cigarette or I think about a cigarette, I go, man, I'm a happy non-smoker now. F those things, right? That's my mantra, F those things. Hmm. And so that's embedded in my mind above and beyond that book. And it's, you know, I have my days where I think about it, but nothing that makes me go over. You know, it's kind of like early in my sobriety, I would think here and there about it, but go, nah, nah, you're doing the right thing, right? You're happy. I'm happy not to be drinking. I wouldn't go back to what I was before ever. And that, you know, that, that matters. Like the sobriety from alcohol and drugs and all that, that matters to me because that's a a, a really solid foundation that I can build on, you know, with things like quitting smoking cigarettes, right? My next journey 
is to stop drinking pop. I have a horrible pop addiction, bro. I love it. It ain't like booze, dog. I love it. I love <laughs> some pop. Give me a can of Mountain Dew all day, er day, er day. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but it's not good for you, right? And I read a book, Good Sugar, Bad Sugar, same guy that wrote the smoking book, and it kind of it works under the same idea that you recognize and things like that. They're just they're bad for you. And even though you get enjoyment in the moment, right? It's not good for you. You don't get anything gained from it. And, and that's, you know, so I haven't launched into that yet, right? I'm still getting my feet under me from not smoking. And I try not to take anything on too fast, but I have this confidence now that like, Oh, I can manhandle whatever dog we've been there. We got knocked off drinking, knocked off smoking. Like what's next? I'll take on the world. Oh, sugar. It's it's hell. <laughs> it's they, they say it's worse than crack, oh, man. Sweet sugar. Oh, oh, I was again. I'm trying to grab a Mountain Dew right now. Oh, I was forced <laughs> to quit sugar. Well, here's the thing though about the sugar. Well, I'll tell you my story and then I'll I'll tell you this thing I battle now. But uh, I had well, I, obviously alcohol does a lot of bad things to the body. We already kind of discussed that, but uh, my pancreas. It had taken its toll on that, and as I was newly in sobriety, I think I was after the hospital, I had two or three months clean, and and I was like finding it very easy to go out and have a steak dinner <laughs> and not have to go, how much money do I got? Because I wasn't buying alcohol. And so I had this like right. extra money in there, so I would just go eat dinner and be like, hell yeah, man, give me the best steak. Why not? You know, I deserve it. And mm-hmm. I remember this one night, I went to this buffet down in Fort Smith, Arkansas, when I lived there. And I thought, just to have fun, I'm going to have every single dessert on that little buffet tray, you know? And I did. And I, I hurt. And then I, the next day I woke up, and it felt like gas almost. And then it wasn't, you know, I called or I went to the doctor, and they're like, oh, well, you know, come see us if this doesn't work, but we're going to give you this medication. And I'm like, all right. So then it didn't work. So they're like, we'll go to the emergency room. And I did, and I had acute uh, pancreatitis. And at first, when I got there, they didn't know. They were just like, all right, well, you got kidney stones. We need to remove your gallbladder. And I'm like, well, hold on. And then I had another doctor come tell me that he needs to look at my liver. And I was like, I already got a guy for that. You know, like, you don't need to put some camera down my throat. It's going to sounds like a lot of money that's going to cost. I'd rather not. And then the other guy comes in. He was like, oh, quit eating sugar. (laughs) And I was like, I'm going to go with that guy. And I was like, how about let's, let's not do surgery. Let's not stick anything down my throat. And I'm going to go with the acute pancreatitis thing. And I'll just eat turkey sandwiches. And So then I cut out sugar for a while. And I lost a bunch of weight, started feeling good, was exercising. And then I tried drinking pop again. Doesn't work. Like, I, it's too sugary. Like, I just can't take it. So I switched to, like, Diet Coke. And I, I switched to zero sugar uh, Powerade and and Gatorade, stuff like that. And now I'm being told, well, that stuff that's in there is worse than sugar. Aspartame or something. I'm like, well, Jesus, which one is it, man? So then (laughs) I go like the attic now, and I'm like, F it then. I'm eating sugar. So I went on this ice cream kick, gained 100 pounds, but I'm still drinking no sugar Powerade. So I'm kind of mixing it, you know. I'm on the edge. (laughs) I heard this lady talk the other day, and she said that it was when she got her two years is when she lost her appetite for sugar. So I'm like, well, that's about a month away. So I'm putting it on the record right now, right here with you, Jason. December 15th, 2020, 
I will cut back on sugar, like seriously. And I'm going to tell my wife, my fiance, I'm going to, I'm going to tell her, honey, quit baking these. Because I think she likes me fat for some reason. I don't know if it's like, <laughs> so like she's like, oh, other women won't be all hitting on them or something, you know, or maybe she's like, I like sleeping next to fat guy. I don't know. But she's baking, <laughs> baking like all these pies and she's getting really good at it. And oh. the fridge pff, always has ice cream in it. It's kind of like when we were drinking, you know, it would always have some kind of liquor in there somewhere. Nope. Now it's like yeah. ice cream and cakes and pies and. But we're so similar, bro. We're so similar. <laughs> I lost a bunch of weight when I first quit drinking, and but I used sugar like I drank pop, and I had the same thing. Like ah, who cares? I'm not drinking anymore. I'm aces. Mm-hmm. So I lost like forty pounds, and then like quick snap, gained her all back. Thanks so much, <laughs> sugar. The lovely makers of Mountain Dew brings you sides exposed <laughs> under your t-shirt, looking thick, right, Mister Thickness, running the streets. <laughs> and it's terrible, right? That stuff's so good. I read an article about a week ago that said that uh, sugar, processed sugar, is as addictive as heroin, alcohol, cigarettes, or any drug. Yep. It's and Gross. it's true. I mean, you sound like you're well, and it sounds like you're. So your experience on the sugar, the problems like stomach problems, things like that, that makes me want to like hang up on you right now and sprint to my doctor and ask him why he didn't bring this up when I told him about these similar problems, right? Like, dog, you're the one with the degree, not me. I have to ask you. Yeah, just tell me it's so not good for me. That's that amazing. Like, no, well, and that's, it's just amazing to see, like, it's funny when you, you know, in recovery, you meet all these parallels, right? Recovery, the theories of recovery or the, the practices of recovery can be applied everywhere, whether it's eating sugar or exercising, anything like that, right? Just like, it's just a matter of like applying it. So it's, it's neat to hear that you've been successful or were successful, right? Until Marnie got to come in with the pie magic. Like I'm a sucker for a pie, bro. Like sucker. <laughs> My wife brought over a pie. She was like, I brought over some of the apple pie. I was like, all right, break out the sweatpants. Let's get to work. Hell yeah. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> like, I'll throw it all away. And, and then I found myself, too, because if you try quitting sugar, just be careful because you, you'll, you'll notice the same signs. You'll be like, oh, my God. Like, one time, like, I went, like, a week, and I was doing great, man. Cut out sugar, cut out candy bars. It was just, I mean, I was doing great until I got hungry and I was on a drive. And I thought, I'll hit the gas station real quick. And, you know, instead of, like, beef jerky, I was like, no, no, no. I got the king size Heath bar, the king size Milky Way, the king, you know, it was, and I, I get in the car and I have like eight king size candy bars. So I'm like, F it. And I just start going to town, you know, and then I realize I'm like, this is like a, like, I'm having like a, a binge. I'm, I'm, I'm going back. Yeah. I'm, I'm having, this is like a relapse, you know, like might as well go all, yeah. all out, you know, and so it's very similar really to alcohol and other drugs because you're just like oh man I, now that i now that i got this to myself now and i'm in this car no one's in there with me and i can just eat them eat them eat them eat them and right. then afterwards then i felt right. the guilt <laughs> i felt yeah I felt guilt. right <sighs> it's interesting how that goes right so we officially need to start the uh sugar anonymous meetings right we sit around the tables with uh, all non-sugary goods like mm-hmm. dry snacks chips things like that and we talk bad about sugar Dude, I started. I was up uh, to a box of ho hos a day. It was out of control, bro. Because <laughs> I just after I already had four, F it, might as well have five, six, seven, eight. You know, What's get that the box difference out of, between four and a whole box. Because if the box is just gonna be sitting in there, I'm gonna know what's gonna be in there. So I might as well just finish it now. 
then we have to talk about the attic mentality just one more time i'll get another box i just i'll just be different this time i'll just eat just eat one a day well just two because one i gotta have for lunch and then you know have the snack at night you know just because i I gotta have something (laughs) you know and it's (laughs) but i actually added the ice cream shop to my to my uh uber eats Lately or recently, they added the ice cream <laughs> shop so I could just have pints of ice cream just like, here you go, doorstep, don't have to do nothing. Any kind of ice cream you want. I'm like, you devil, you you freaking devil. I hate you to death. But I love you. Give me all your ice creams. <laughs> <laughs> I've had like one bad ice cream flavor ever in my life, I think. The rest, I mean, some exactly. I like more than others, but like one, it was up here in Charlevoix. They had this little ice cream shop, and they were trying to be too cute with ice cream. I'm like, just sell the ice cream. Like, you can't go wrong. And they were making all kinds of different stuff, and they were like, here, taste this. It was Morel Mushroom ice cream. And I oh, like Morel Mushrooms. What? Oh, it was horrible. Like, it just got stuck in your teeth, and you're just like. Morel you just, it, Mushroom. Yeah, like fry it in butter Morel. all day, yeah. but. Ice cream? No, it doesn't mix. I don't know who told them it was good or what no. they were thinking, but yeah, is it? It's the same people that came up with the KFC scented uh, fire log. Oh Jesus! <laughs> yeah, both out of business. Yeah, that ice cream shop did close up, but I was like, mm, not surprised. But back to the sugar thing, though. No. I I did start a Facebook group called Sugar Anonymous. That's why. It's did funny. you really? Yeah. And I've had so many people oh, no message me because I kind of did it as a joke and kind of not because I was, I was like kind of testing the waters. But I've had so many people to this day, and it was like, I don't know, a year and a half ago when I started it, to this day, like send messages. Hey, what's going on with this? You know, we need to, we need to do something, you know. And I'm like, yeah, do I really want to get involved in this now? <laughs> you know, it's like I got a lot of stuff on my plate. <laughs> but <laughs> a lot of stuff on my plate called ice cream pie. But, yeah, I, I, should, right. I should fire that bad boy back up, though, and. Start inviting some more people, but yeah, it's I should you know because it's it's a real thing, and I mean I doubt that you're going to be quitting anytime soon, but that that day is going to come where your doctor is going to say, hey, you're in here because you got acute pancreatitis and that we need a lot of sugar. Right. Well, yeah. So that's the thing, bro. So I tell so my dad right was uh, somebody who could identify all the problems but didn't like to take action. Right. Mm-hmm. So I have this saying with my brother because he is like exactly like my dad in this way. And I always tell him, don't be a Randy, right? Don't be a Randy. Anybody can wait and be reactive. Anybody. It takes no effort to be reactive to problems. None at all. But you'll face a lot of problems. Why not be proactive? Don't be a Randy. Be proactive. Address that, right? I work for a company that they had, I walk in, I get hired to come in. I see they got pictures of Buffalo everywhere. And I was like, that's weird. They kind of look like the stock pictures that come in frames, but who buys 20 stock Buffalo pictures to hang in their office, right? (laughs) To ask, like, what's the deal? He goes, did you know that Buffalo are the only animal that when faced with a storm walk into it? I said, no, I didn't know that. He goes, yep, be the Buffalo. They're the ones that take on the storm first and get through it first because they walk into it instead of waiting for it to take them over. And I thought, that's perfect. Be the buffalo, Corey. Be the buffalo. I'm going to. I'm going to fire that site back up, and I'm going to take sugar on. Yeah, I'm down, man. I'll be a contributor. <laughs> we'll get on. A, we'll get on the uh, the uh, you know the. We'll go with the seven one two sugar recovery podcast. <laughs> yeah, seven twelve sugar anonymous. Seven twelve shits backwards, no booze, just sugar. Yeah. 
<laughs> but it will, man. It, I'll, I'll have withdrawals from sugar. I swear to you, it's it's real. And you they last don't. two days. I was I, I've read a lot on this lately, right? Sugar, physical sugar withdrawals are small, but they last about forty eight hours. And that's you know that book, that good sugar, bad sugar. It's the big and little monster again. Like it's harder to get over and stop doing because you, in your mind, you know, have to get around like I want it, right? And it's not a you tackle the big monster, right? The little monster is the easy one, just like cigarettes, right? I didn't mm-hmm. have barely anything for withdrawals because I didn't think in my head, I'm giving up something. If you believe you're, this is so true in recovery, right? If you really believe like I'm going without, I gave up something great, then how hard is it to stop, you know, to, to keep from doing it when you believe you walked away from something that you didn't need to or that really it's a good thing and you want to be able to do that. I watch people in AA all the time, like be angry. They couldn't drink. I'm mad. I can't go to the bar. Mm-hmm. I hate that. I can't get together and part of my friends. Of course, sobriety is miserable because you talk to yourself as though it's the worst thing on earth. Right. Reinforce yeah. yourself. Say, man, you're doing a good thing, buddy. That's how, and I'll talk to myself. Like I'm talking to you, right? Hey buddy, don't worry. You're doing the right thing. I know it might not feel like it in this moment, but just remember you ain't giving up shit. You're doing a good thing. You're making the right move. Be proud of yourself. And that helps. It gets easier, but it gets easier every day, right? Just for today. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you're trying to do, bro. You know, it's funny to watch in sports. Everybody goes, trust the process, trust the process. (laughs) I'm like, that's another way to say, just focus on today. Just for today. Mm -hmm. Are you a Cowboys fan? We're killing them. Oh, God, no. I'm a Niners fan. I grew up, so I was born in Los Angeles, and my first football was watching Niners games, and uh, we moved to Michigan, and uh, so I'm a Cubs fan. I live, you know, where we live, you were closer to Chicago than Detroit, so I'm a Chicago sports fan for, you know, I'm a Bulls fan, Cubs fan, have been my whole life, and I'm a Niners fan, hmm. and I have, you know, all my family is all Detroit sports fans, so it's funny to make fun of them because, you know, for the most part, Detroit sports uh you know, they're sorry, bro. They're just, they're sorry. I couldn't be a Cubs fan and a Lions fan. That's like volunteering to be miserable. Yeah. Yeah. And we couldn't be Chicago fans just, well, because I mean, the bear fans anyway, like, I don't know. Like I always felt bad for them. Like, Oh, like maybe one day they'll pull it together. And you know, yeah, they had a little 84 stuff, but we're kind of too young for that. And it's just like, man, okay. I don't know. Like I just couldn't, they've been looking for a new quarterback since then. Yeah, and he kind of sucked back then, really. But hey, it's it's a franchise owned by people who really don't care. It's kind of like the Cubs were, you know. And man, we're still right. going to pack the stadium. We're still going to. Why are we going to pay people to do this when we might hit on a Walter Payton once in every fifty years? And that's fine. We're we're good with it. You know, like why would we spend more money <laughs> yeah. to compete? Doesn't make sense. We're just gonna yeah. good defense. Profound and, statement, right? We're just we're just here for the money, not for the wins. Mm-hmm. You know, like the Lions. You know, they struck gold on Barry Sanders and and Calvin Johnson, and they both just were like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm before I hurt myself physically, where I can't walk anymore, or take an injury to the head, and I'm, I'm just gonna I'm gonna call it quits. Mm-hmm. I'm good. I got enough money. I'm mm-hmm. good. You know, and that's a wise decision. Yeah. But you know, if they were playing for Super Bowls every year, uh, that that might have changed their their thinking a little bit. But maybe not. Who knows? But looking yeah, down the path, the Cubs, of, right? They win. Mm-hmm. 
I said, look at the Cubs. They win one championship right now. What are the expectations? We got to make the playoffs. We got to win a ring, right? I'm over here like, I love y'all, but I mean, like, bask in that one. It took you 108 years to get there. Yeah. Let's be real with our expectations. Yeah, and, and you know what? Ever since they won, I've kind of stopped being a fan. Have you well, really? Yeah, that and when they when they quit showing the games on WGN, because I was living down south, so I would use WGN to watch the Cubs, and then they started splitting the games, and then they just dropped WGN, and it was just like, oh, man. So I just kind of quit watching them, and then they won the World Series, and it was like, okay, cool, but... <sighs> Now I can die saying, hey, I was I was there for that, you know, and that was kind of like my whole thing in life. I'm like, I wonder if they're going to win before I die. And the, now that it happened, it's kind of like, okay, now what's next? I don't know. It's really weird. Right. Yeah. I, you know, they, well, you know, they're no more the law, they're no more the lovable losers, right? So that's mm-hmm. what they've always been as we've been growing up with the lovable losers. And, and, you know, you think of movies like Rookie of the Year that are all benched around the idea that, the Cubs are an atrocious baseball organization. And so now, <laughs> you know, you get a little, get a ring and, and have a few years of success and the expectations change drastically, right? It's like the Bulls before they had Jordan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were just trying to make it through and they get Jordan and it's like, all right, we are killing it. Oh, we got to win one. Then you win one. And then it's now the Bulls, even now, we were 20 and change years later. Like it's all about the rings. Nobody cares in Chicago that the the Bulls made the playoffs. Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. And the basketball is so different, too. You know, it's, I mean, back in the day when Jordan played, you think he could have called up Barkley and just, like, five other dudes that were, you know, the shit, and like, hey, let's get a team. Now it's like, yeah, it's kind of like, like the, it's just like, that's not, a, I don't know, to me it's just watered down. It's just like, psh. Well, the players realize they could make the moves, right? You know, they mm-hmm. just, they can make the moves. And I don't like it either. LeBron goes to the heat, right? That starts it. Then you have Golden State, you know, with KD come on. And I, was, I don't like all that, right? I also don't like 140-point regular season games. Like, just right. call me stupid here, but I don't like 140 points. Like, let's see some defense. It's okay. I like defense, too. <laughs> but then you can get hurt. <laughs> oh, boo-hoo, boo, we get hurt, right? Guy uh, breaks leg shooting jumper. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you never know, man. Well, cool. Sure. I appreciate you uh, talking with me today, though, Jason. And like I said, I don't know why I didn't reach out a long time ago, but I'm glad that I had John for sure. And he said some some pretty cool things, and I like the the thought about smoking and you know the fact that you go all in on your stuff is is awesome. And you know, AA, you know, your sobriety, mental health, cigarettes. You're just like, hey, you know, let's let's change how we think about the situation, and and that that is so huge. In everyday life, you know, you don't have to be in addiction, you know, or in recovery to change the way you think. And you'll be surprised at how how better things will get when you stop being pissy about things, you know, and start thinking, oh, oh, I can't drink. Oh, no, no, you, you don't have to drink anymore. You know, like, hey, you're free. You right. Know? Um, I'm a happy non-drinker, right? The principles yeah. of recovery apply in all aspects of life. They just do. And you're faced with any problems, whether it's substance or not, right? Those principles of recovery can can really get you through. The reason I've had any level of success with any of this is because I believe in what I'm doing. And with each level of success, I've got that much more confidence to take that next action, right? 
The idea of quitting smoking when I first quit drinking was terrifying. Yeah, right. You already got me for my booze dog. You ain't getting me for my smokes. <laughs> and then, you know, you turn the corner on that and go, okay, right? I feel so confident that, like, I know I got this. It's just about taking that first step. And I think I remind myself of the old saying, right? Even a million-mile journey starts with one step, right? And that's, the, that's, that's kind of the long and short of it, right? Whatever it is, take a step. It's not... Not a big deal, you know, find people that, that support what you're trying to do, ask them to be there for you to talk to. Not a big deal, right? If you make it a big deal, I tell this to my brother, right? When you make it a mountain, it'll seem like a mountain. If you make it a molehill, it'll only seem like you got to step over a molehill. Not a big deal. Keep it pushing. Mm, I like and it. I appreciate you having me on too, buddy. It's been great talking to you and catching up. I hope we get a chance to uh, do it again. Yeah, for sure. All right, Jason, take care, man. You too, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. And that was uh, friend Jason Vodder. And like I mentioned earlier, we grew up in the same town of Coloma. He was a few years younger than me, but know some of the same people. And like I said, earlier in my recovery, I remember one time driving in Grand Rapids and I saw a post of his, you know, saying his his clean time. And I was like, ah, I didn't know Jason, you know, had a had a problem with alcohol. And Sometimes uh, people will will make fun of me even when I, I put how many days I have and I don't know a couple of weeks ago or week last week I had seven hundred days and I posted that and nobody really made fun of me there but sometimes people post and like not supposed to brag about how many days you got but when Jason shared how many days he had you know it really like oh okay you know I think that's when I first started like realizing it was okay if I wanted to come out and be honest about what I was going through with other people. And, you know, like Jason probably has no idea that that helped me and it, it did, you know, so they, they say, you never know when you're going to help somebody and what you could say or what you're doing could really kind of inspire some other people. So yeah, thanks for that, Jason. I really do appreciate that you had the the balls to say that you were in recovery and that you had those, those mid days clean and congrats on your five years, nine months and 14 days. Thanks again for joining me, Jason, and thanks again for listening. If you need the app, it's free. We'll let you know when new episodes like this one are posted, new blogs when those are posted, and we have uh, resources on our app and, of course, on our website, 217recovery.com. Talk to you Thursday.